Editorial Planeta de Agostini presenta Curso de Inglés Third Level Unit 91 Speaking An Information Leak Martin has some information about a dangerous radiation leak at Murray Island Power Station and decides to talk to his friend Sarah Lee about it. Hello, Martin. Come in. How are you? Fine, thanks, Sarah. Sorry for calling on you so late, but there's something I want to talk to you about. Of course. What's the problem? Well, it's the Murray Island Power Station. What about it? Last night, Tom Haynes came round to see me. You know Tom, don't you? He's a nuclear engineer who works there. Yes, I know Tom. Well, he thinks there's been a leak at the plant. God, no! You're joking! No, I'm not, I'm afraid. Apparently, he's been worried for some time now about the levels of radiation at the plant. They're very high. He even sent a report to the management, but he got no reply from them at all. Yesterday, he looked through the staff records. Evidently, the number of illnesses over the past six months has increased by over 50%, and some of them are serious. But Murray Island is just ten miles away, and it's only a few miles from the primary school. Exactly. Tom thinks we should do something. He's right. We've already got enough problems in this town with the pollution from the main road, without having to contend with radioactive leaks from a nuclear power station as well. What do you suggest? Well, the first thing to do is get all the information we can about what is actually going on at Murray Island. Then we can visit the parents of all the children at the school and organise some pickets. OK. In the meantime, I'll call Pete Hampton at Wirral Radio. We might even be able to get the TV involved as well. Speaking. Picket. While you are working through this dialogue, pay attention to the verbs which can be followed by that. Hello, Martin. Hello, Sarah. How's it going? Not too bad, I suppose. We've got about 20 people in front of the gates now. Tom told me that someone from Radio Wirral was here. That's right. They want to do an interview. Here they are now. Excuse me, are you Sarah Lee? Yes, that's right. I'm Alison Morley from Radio Wirral. I was wondering if I could ask you a few questions about the demonstrations here at Murray Island. Yes, of course. First of all, how did you discover that there was a radiation leak here at the power station? Well, first we heard that radiation levels were much higher than usual, and that started us thinking. Then we discovered that the number of people going sick had gone up by more than 50% in the last few months. 
It's obvious that there's something going on. Has the company said anything? No, they deny everything, of course. But what would you expect? There's a school nearby as well, isn't there? That's right. Murrayville Primary School is just a few miles away from the power station. Obviously, parents are very worried about what's happening. We never wanted this power station in the first place, but nobody took any notice of us at all. We already have loads of environmental problems. The pollution from the lorries that use the main road that goes right through the town centre, the disafforestation of the Vale of Orkney, the greenhouse effect which is ruining the agriculture of the area, and we don't want radiation leaks to add to our problems. Are you hoping to meet the management of the company at any point? No. As far as I can see, they don't give a damn. We're meeting the town council tomorrow, though. I just hope they can do something. Speaking. Meet the Murrayville Mayor. After a few weeks of demonstrations, Sarah and Martin are invited to a meeting of the town council to express their views. Ah, good evening, Miss Lee. Ms. Lee. Ah, yes, sorry, Ms. Lee. Good evening, Mr. Williams. Now then, the town council is a little worried about all these demonstrations and things. Why are you worried? We're not making too much trouble for you, I hope. Oh, no, 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 no. It's just that, well, one or two of us feel that if you think there are problems with radiation leaks and things of that nature, perhaps it would have been better to go through the normal channels rather than take things into your own hands straight away. We tried that when they built the power station in the first place, and look where it got us. I'm sorry, Mr. Mayor, but this council's record isn't really that good, is it? We've been asking for a bypass for years, for example, and there's still no sign of one. Yes, well, let's stick to the point, shall we? Now, I've been in contact with the management of the power station on Murray Island, and they assure me that there is absolutely no evidence whatsoever of a leak. That's not what we've heard. And they were also curious about where you'd got your information from. Well, they're not going to know. The point is, are you going to press for an inquiry or not? Miss, sorry, Ms Lee, if you want an inquiry, you must produce some kind of evidence. Oh, come off it. This thing's been going on for weeks now. Everybody knows about our evidence. Yes, but it seems rather flimsy. Flimsy? God, I don't believe this. Come on, Martin. It's no use talking to these people. It's pretty obvious whose side they're on. Now, Mrs Lee. Ms Lee. I'm sorry, gentlemen. It's clear you have no intention of helping us at all. We're going to make a national issue out of this. Just wait. You're going to regret this day, I can tell you. Speaking.
What's the point? Sarah and Martin face the managing director of Murray Island Power Station, Sir Neville Fawkes, in a TV programme called What's the Point? Good evening. The town of Murrayville is an excellent example of the environmental problems that afflict this country. Huge lorries pollute the air as they roll along the A133, which goes straight through the town centre. The River Murray is polluted by chemicals from a large factory in Castletown, nine miles upstream. And now residents claim that there is a radiation leak at the nearby Murray Island nuclear power station. Tonight, on What's the Point, we'll be talking to Ms Sarah Lee and Mr Martin Williams, the leaders of the Murray Island Action Group. Good evening. Good evening. And Sir Neville Fawkes, the chairman of the company that owns the power station. Good evening. I'd like to start with you, if I may, Ms Lee. Why do you think there's a radiation leak at Murray Island? We don't think there's a radiation leak there. We know there's a leak there. Rubbish. Now, now, Sir Neville. I shall come to you afterwards. One of the workers at the power station noticed that radiation levels were very high and he obviously started asking himself why that was the case. Then he checked up on staff records and discovered that people were going sick at an alarming rate. So he came to see Martin and Martin came to see me and we decided to look into it. Sir Neville? This is absurd. We have regular checks at the plant on Murray Island. Everything is perfectly normal. Then why don't you let us set up an inquiry? If you're right, you've got nothing to fear. There's nothing to inquire into, for heaven's sake. Then how do you explain all these people going off sick? There's nothing abnormal about that. Nothing abnormal? I don't believe it. Last week, more than 15 children at Murray School were off school with stomach complaints. But why on earth do you think that's due to a radiation leak at the plant? Children often suffer from these little problems. Listening. After the war. Sarah, Martin and some friends are celebrating their victory over Murray Island Power Station, which has been closed because of radiation leaks. Well, Sarah, we've won. Yes, we've won this time, but who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? I don't know. The people in charge always seem to be thinking up new ways of destroying the environment. You're right. Look at the greenhouse effect. We've known about it since the early 80s, but no one did anything for years. And now everyone's panicking. And disafforestation. Everybody knows what's going to happen once the Amazonian forests are destroyed. But they go on chopping them down anyway, and no one does anything to stop them. Still, we've won this little battle at least. With all our demonstrations, we embarrass them enough to open an inquiry. And Sir Neville finally had to close his beloved power station. Yes, you're right. You must be tired after all the work you've done for this campaign, Sarah. You should take a holiday. 
I might do. But there's something at the back of my mind that tells me we're going to be doing the same thing all over again very soon. Hmm. I'm afraid you might be right. Do you know something I don't? Well, I was talking to Brian Phelps the other day. The secretary of the town council? Yes, that's right. He told me that the council was thinking of opening up a new rubbish dump. Oh, no. Where? You aren't going to believe this. Conversation. Down in the dumps. You're joking. They're going to put a rubbish dump here, in Beach Crescent. I'm afraid so. The council gave the go-ahead last Thursday. Haven't we already got enough problems? People have to cycle with masks on because of the exhaust fumes from the lorries going to Castletown. The only place the kids have got to play in are the Brabham Gardens. There are some houses in the street that haven't even got central heating and still have to use coal fires. And now they want to put a rubbish dump here. It's just unbelievable. Are you absolutely sure about this? Well, Brian seemed to think everything was settled. He said they should start dumping rubbish early next week. But the council haven't said anything about it at all. Oh, and that's another thing I wanted to tell you. Brian had to contact the mayor rather urgently the other day. He didn't find him in his office, so he phoned his home. Have a guess where he was. I've no idea. The Burlington Club in Castletown. Huh. Well, that doesn't surprise me. He's the sort of person who would do everything he can to be one of the elite. But that's not all. You'll never guess who the president is. Who? A gentleman by the name of Forks. Sir Neville Forks. You're kidding. Nope. Martin, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I certainly am. Our beloved mayor would love to ingratiate himself with Sir Neville Forks. He might even be thinking about getting some kind of position himself there. What better way than to put a rubbish dump outside the front door of the people who led the campaign to get his power station closed? Did Brian tell you exactly where this rubbish dump was going to be? Yes. Next to number 20. The Swan. What's that noise? It's coming from outside. Look. It's a dust cart. What are they doing? They're dumping a load of rubbish. Right. Come on. What are you going to do? I'm going to show our mayor just who he's dealing with. I'm going to type up a petition and get the whole of the town to sign it if I have to. OK. I'll call Radio Wirral again. Do you think you'll be able to get us on that programme again? What's it called? What's the point? I can certainly try. I'll make the town council rue the day they saw my face. Dictation Our good neighbour Farmer Bridgewater Set six men on to mowing by a little after sunrise. 
and collected fourteen efficient haymakers by breakfast time. Fourteen active haymakers for our poor three acres. Not to count the idle assistants. We ourselves. With three dogs and two boys to mind them. Advisors who came to find fault and look on. Babies who came to be nursed. Children who came to rock the babies. And other children who came to keep the rockers company and play with the dogs. Unit 92 Speaking You must be out of your mind. Maggie and her friend Stig are protesting against the school authorities by painting a large mural on the side of the school. Pay attention here to the passive sentences. What are you doing? Do you like it? What on earth is it? It's a protest against the repressive nature of school authorities. You must be out of your mind. What happens if you're seen by one of the teachers? Don't worry, we won't be. Jeffers has been strategically placed on the roof of the toilets to act as lookout. You do realise, don't you, Maggie, that what you're doing here is against the rules of the school. Article 58 states, and I quote, pupils who disfigure school property in any way... I don't give a damn about Article 58, Jim, or any other article. It's time the teachers here learnt that the human spirit mustn't be repressed by their idiotic lessons and regulations. Will it come off? No. At least that's what Stig says. Stig? You're not involved in this as well, are you? Yes. It was rather an interesting problem, actually. Maggie wanted me to produce a liquid which couldn't be washed off, but which wouldn't be absorbed by the bricks either. So I did a little bit of research in the lab and produced this rather interesting substance which we added to the paint. Rather good, don't you think? You use the lab? Oh, Stig. Article 96 of the school rules says that school facilities must not be used for any activity other than didactic ones.
Do you know you could be expelled for this? Oh, I didn't think about that really. Well, well, well. What have we got here then? Oh God! Hello, headmaster. I think you three had better come to my study, don't you? Speaking. Exam time. Maggie is sitting at the lunch table waiting for Stig when along comes Jim. Notice how the two speakers use the word now in different ways. Hello, Maggie. Have you seen Stig? She's usually here by now. Yes, she's coming. Every now and then, she stays in the labs after the lesson to do some experiments of her own. How are your applications for university going? All right, I suppose. I'm now waiting for replies from five different universities. I don't think Cambridge will accept me. I should get a place at London, though. You want to do law, don't you? Yes, that's right. That doesn't surprise me. What's that supposed to mean? Nothing. When are your A levels? On the sixth and ninth of June. Not long to go then. You're right. From now on, I'm going to have to study pretty hard. We all are. Mine are just after yours. Are they? Yes, the practicals on the thirteenth, and art histories on the sixteenth. Have you been offered a place at college yet? Yes, I've been accepted by Slade. Oh, that's good. With any luck, we'll all be in London at the same time. What? Stig as well? Yes. Didn't you know? Stig's been offered a place at Imperial College to do chemistry. Now that is news. She never told me anything. Well, you know what she's like. Got her head in the clouds most of the time. Speaking. A London pub. Jim, Maggie, and Stig meet in a London pub just before their final examinations. In this dialogue too. You'll find a lot of passive sentences. Note the way they are used. Jim, Maggie, how are you? Hello, Stig. Fine, fine. How's the mad scientist? Cooked up anything of interest recently? I wish they'd let us. Our caretaker closes all the labs at eight. Too right. If they left you in there all night, you'd blow the place up. Have you heard the news about dear old Maggie here? Her first exhibition is being set up right now at the Slade. No, you're joking. Oh no, I'm not. Watch out, David Hockney. Here comes Maggie Bly. That's really good. Thanks, Stig. I'm glad someone can appreciate artistic talent when they see it. How are things going with you, anyway? Oh, very well. Finals are only a few months away, as you know. 
What about that PhD place that you were talking about? Oh, well, I don't know if that'll come off. My prof said I was being considered for it, but I don't know if I'll get it. You don't sound very hopeful. I'm not. There's a lot of competition. But I thought they needed all the chemists they could get to reinforce the industrial backbone of this great nation. That's what they say. But people with PhDs usually go into university teaching in any case. So I don't know. Come on, Stig. Cheer up. At least you'll be able to get a job once you've finished. Which is more than we can say for poor old Maggie here. She'll end up painting large anti-authoritarian slogans all over the walls of the city, just as she did in middle school. Speaking. Put your money where your mouth is. Maggie is working late at her studio one evening when her phone rings. Hello? Hello, Maggie. Stig here. How's it going? Stig, how are you? I haven't heard from you in ages. Where have you been? The States. The States? What were you doing in that capitalist's paradise? I was visiting the UNIC labs in California. They're believed to be the most advanced chemical labs in the world. And after what I saw last week, I have to say I agree. Maggie, they're marvellous. They've got things over there that we can only dream about. I'm seriously thinking of applying for a job there. No, Stig! Don't sell your soul to the devil for half a dozen test tubes. Save what's left of your human dignity. Don't do it. Besides, what would I do without you? You're the only sane person I know apart from that lawyer. You're not talking about Jim, I suppose. Of course I am. Who else? I consider him to be the most bloodthirsty man in London. Do you know he's managed to get three people sentenced to life imprisonment this week? That man should be put in prison himself, if you ask me. Come on, Maggie. He's only doing his job. Anyway, how are things going with you? Oh, not too bad, I suppose. Another exhibition is being organised for next week, so I'm rather busy at the moment. It's being sponsored by George Harding. Would you believe it? George Harding? And you talk about me selling my soul to the devil? That man is the managing director of the biggest merchant bank in the city. Yes, I know, but he considers me a genius and he's willing to put his money where his mouth is, so I'm not complaining. Anyway, I have to say I agree with him. About my being a genius, I mean. You always were the modest one, weren't you? Where is all this happening, anyway? At the Slocum Galleries in Bond Street. Why don't you come and have a look? We can have a drink. 
and I'll give you a thousand good reasons why the USA is not to be taken into consideration as a place of work. OK. Will you be there on Tuesday? I can drop in about lunchtime. That would be fine. I'll take you to a wonderful little pub I know, and you can pay because I'm broke. Unless you buy one of my paintings. Maggie, I don't even understand your paintings. All right, then. I'll sell you my autograph. That'll be worth just as much in a few years' time. Listening. A face from the past. As you go through this dialogue, listen carefully to the pattern of the stresses. Ah, there you are, Maggie. How are you? Sit down. Like a drink? Hello, Jim. Yes, I'd love one. Where's Stig? She'll be here at any moment. There's someone else here I want you to meet, though. Remember the face? My God, Stephen Jeffers. What are you doing here? Oh, I'm over from the States for a couple of weeks and I decided to call up a few old friends. The States? Not you as well. What are you doing over there? I teach at university. Can you believe that? I'm a prof at Ohio. What do you teach? French and Italian literature. Well, 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 you have come a long way. Have you been in contact with any of the others? Oh, yes, and I've had some surprises as well. Do you remember Victor Cash, for example? He's now the manager of his own computer firm. That doesn't surprise me. And the other day, while I was walking down Mayfair, I met Melanie Scrumptious. She was stepping out of a car, a very large car with a chauffeur in the front. Did you know she'd married George Harding? You've heard of George Harding, the merchant banker. Oh, yes, I've heard of George. Well, 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 Melanie and George Harding. Now, I wonder if she had anything to do with it. With what? Oh, nothing. Carry on. Well, I think Jim's got something to tell you that is even more interesting. I certainly have. Do you remember Richard Dill, by any chance? Oh, how could I forget Richard Dill? He is probably the most obnoxious person I've ever met. Well, you remember he had been chosen by his rich grandfather as his successor. You remember his grandfather had all those breweries down in Cornwall and Devon? Oh, yes, I remember all right. Well, the other day a friend of mine asked me for some advice about a case. A man who was trying to prove that his grandfather wasn't of sound mind when he wrote his will. All rubbish, of course. Well, I looked at it. Beautiful case. You can come down on him like a ton of bricks, I said. The man's obviously willing to sell his soul to the devil for a share of the money. Anyway, I decided to go along to see how my friend handled the case. Walking into court, I saw the person who was trying to get the money. Guess who it was? No, not Richard. Yes. Conversation Silly Dilly Oi, you. What's your name? Mr. Richard Dill. Oh, Mr. Richard Hoity-Toity Dill. Who do you think you are, the Queen of Bleeding Sheba? Come over here and give me a hand. Listen, 
If I were you, I would mind the way I talk to people. Oh, would you? Listen, Mr. Silly Dilly. If you don't get over here as fast as your horrible little legs can carry you, I shall have a word with the foreman. Now, come on. All right, all right. There's no need to get upset. I'm coming. Hold this. Not with your hands. Use the pincers. Like this. That's it. How come you're here anyway? You don't seem the sort of person to be working in a place like this. No. Well, it's a long story. You see, my grandfather owned a number of breweries down in Cornwall. The ones that make Chyandor rum. Oh, yes. What are you doing here, then? Well, my grandfather used to give me all the money I wanted. And he promised me that he would let me run the brewery and the distillery when he died. So what happened? Just before he died, he changed his mind. He gave everything to all of my cousins and cut me off without a penny. That was a bit rough. So now you've got to work for a living. Yes, that's right. Everything was so different once. I used to have a beautiful girlfriend, Barbara her name was, who I used to treat awfully. I used to have a Rolls. I even used to go sailing on my grandfather's yacht. So how did you get this job then? My cousin Mary got it for me. She's friendly with the manager, apparently. Ah, oh, well. Never mind, old son. Welcome to the working class. Bugs. Mr. Cash, Mr. Cash. Coming, Tina. What is it? I think there's something wrong with the computer. Let's have a look. What the hell's this? I don't know. I was trying to link up to Datacom in Manchester, and I think I must have pressed the wrong button or something, because all these figures came up on the screen. Now then, let's have a look. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Ah, I see. What is it, Mr. Cash? Well, it looks as if you've managed to get into the computer system of some bank or other. But the problem now is, how do we get out? Now then, let's have a look. Hang on a second. What's wrong? Jim Cropper. Who? Jim Cropper is the name on this account. We were at school together. Well, 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 fancy that. Jim Cropper. He's a big lawyer in the city now. Hold on. What's all this, then? Mr. Cash, don't you think you ought to try and get out of the programme? Isn't it secret or something? Yes, I know, but this is rather interesting. I see £20,000 have been paid into his account every month. Now, I wonder who buy. Let's have a look. Mr. Cash. Oh. A large merchant bank, eh? I bet old Jim's been doing something naughty. He'll get arrested if he's found out, that's for sure. Hello? Yes? Uh, yes. I know. I don't know how it happened. We're trying to get out of the programme now. Yes? Yes, of course. Mr. Cash? Yes? It's Lions National Bank. They want to know what you're doing looking at their computer files.
dictation. You're not hurt, I hope, said the doctor. Oh, no, sir. Well, now, run upstairs, all three of you, and get clean things on, and then tell the housekeeper to give you some tea. You're too young to try such long runs. Let Warner know I've seen you. Good night. Unit 93 Speaking An underdeveloped picture George and Harry are in the middle of an argument about the problems of third world countries and what the richer nations should do to help them, if anything. Why should we have to help them? Nobody helped us when we were developing. But that's not the point. When we were developing, there weren't any rich nations around that controlled the world's markets. What are you talking about, control the world's markets? We don't compete with them, do we? I haven't noticed any bananas growing in England recently, or coffee, or pineapples. But that's not the point. What is the point, then? Even though the rich nations don't produce the same things that they produce, they still fix the selling price. Don't talk rubbish. I'm not talking rubbish. It's true. In any case, agriculture in the third world is all wrong. Most of it's in the hands of rich landowners who make the rest of the rural population work for a pittance. Do you know how much people earn in Bangladesh, for example? I've no idea, but I'm sure you're going to tell me. About $145 a year. Do you know how much people in the rich countries earn on average? About $13,000. So what? What do you mean, so what? Doesn't that mean anything to you? Do you honestly think that's the right way to run the world? Why shouldn't it be? Like I said, we got there first, didn't we? We had loads of problems when we were developing, but no one came along and said, here you are, mate, have a couple of billion dollars to help you get on your feet. Anyway, look at what happened in the early 80s. We gave the third world countries billions of pounds in loans and God knows what. It didn't do any good at all, and now they can't even pay them back. All right, fair enough. I agree with you that throwing money at them maybe isn't the right way to solve the problem. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to help them. So how are you going to help them, then? 
Well, there's all sorts of ways. Speaking. Two key figures. In a New York TV studio, two people are being interviewed about the future conference on the third world. Notice how the host uses the pronoun whom. With the UN conference on the third world coming up in just three weeks' time, we've invited two key figures to our studios to look into the problems that are afflicting the countries in Africa and Asia which are worse off than ourselves. First, Dr. Russell, the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. and a well-known expert on the Third World. Good evening. And Rosalind Murray from the British group InterAid. Ms. Murray will be taking part in the conference. Good evening. Dr. Russell, what do you think are the problems that need to be approached at this conference? Well, I don't think it's necessary to outline in detail the problems that are affecting the third world. Overpopulation, natural disasters, political instability, the inadequacy of their agriculture, and so on. Everybody knows about these. However, there is widespread disagreement about how we can solve these problems, and I think this should be the most important aim of this conference to come to an agreement about the ways and means to be used in order to put a stop to famine and exploitation in the third world. Exploitation by whom exactly? By us, among others. By us? You mean the USA? No, not just the USA. I mean all the richer countries, the rich north as opposed to the poor south. What do you mean exactly by exploitation? Well, in my opinion, one of the biggest crimes that is being perpetrated at the moment is the way that world trade is arranged. What's wrong with it? It is designed to increase the wealth of the countries that are already rich and keep the poor countries poor. That's interesting. I'd like to go into the way that works in a moment. First of all, though, I'd like to ask Ms. Murray if she agrees with Dr. Russell about this. Oh, absolutely. And I also agree that it is the most important problem. However, I feel that this conference can do little or nothing to change it. Why is that exactly? Well, before going into it, I think we should perhaps tell your viewers exactly how the mechanisms of world trade work. Speaking. Coco from Ghana. Profits in the UK. Listen now to Dr. Russell explaining how the rich countries control world trade. Then repeat. Okay. Dr. Russell, you were the first one to bring this point up. What did you mean exactly when you said that the rich nations control world trade? Well, the situation is quite complicated, but I'll try to put it as simply as I can. First of all, we have to remember that third world countries have one big disadvantage. They are starting from a position of inferiority. Inferiority in what sense? In virtually every sense. You see, to develop an economy, you need two basic things, 
money and skills. If you've got money, you can invest it in developing skills, and skilled people in the economy naturally create more wealth. But if you haven't got any money to start with, then it's virtually impossible to break out of the vicious circle. But can't they produce money by selling their goods abroad? Yes, they can. But the only thing they can sell abroad is raw materials, and in particular, agricultural produce. This suits the richer countries perfectly. English, French, and Swiss chocolate manufacturers, for example, buy enormous amounts of cocoa from Ghana. So, what's the problem? The problem is that there are too many raw materials being produced. As a result, it is the people who buy them, in this case, the richer countries, who decide exactly how much they are going to pay. And of course, as every good manager knows, it's important to keep your costs as low as possible. So rich countries pay very low prices for these goods. I see. But why don't third world countries just raise their prices? Why doesn't Ghana, for example, just double the price of its cocoa? Because if it did, nobody would buy it. They could buy it from Malaysia, the Ivory Coast, or Nigeria. So the richer countries could actually blackmail Ghana into keeping its prices low by playing it off against other third world countries? Exactly. And if Ghana continued to keep its prices high, its economy would collapse and it would be in an even worse state than before. Okay. So the natural question to ask now is this. Why don't, let's say, all the cocoa producers of the world get together and decide to fix the price of cocoa? Speaking. Catch 22. In this dialogue, you'll find a lot of nationality words. Pay close attention to them. That is, of course, the logical thing to do. The OPEC countries do exactly the same with oil. But there are problems here. Unless you have very strong leadership, which usually means a group of dictators or something very close to it, it just doesn't work. One country is always tempted to capitalize on the situation by reducing its prices a little. So that everybody buys the product from them. That's right. And then, of course, all the other third world countries have to do the same, and you're back at square one. Okay, so here's the next question. Why don't the Ghanaians just start making chocolate themselves and start exporting it? Why don't they make the move from an agricultural economy to an industrial economy? Because they haven't got the money to do it properly. The markets that really count, those in the rich northern hemisphere, are very sophisticated. You have to produce milk chocolate for Great Britain, bitter plain chocolate for the French, chocolate that tastes of peanuts for the Americans, and so on. Ghana just doesn't have the money to invest in sophisticated machinery which can do that for them. I see. But there's another reason. What would happen if Ghana started selling chocolate in the UK, for example, for half the price that British manufacturers can sell it for? 
I imagine that the British chocolate manufacturers would put a lot of pressure on the government to raise the tariff barriers. Exactly. And what politician is going to run the risk of displeasing the industrialists of his native country so that he can protect a foreign one, particularly one from the third world with no international power at all? At the next election, he'd probably be forced into retirement. Precisely. So what you're saying then is that it's practically impossible for a third world country to develop? That's right. What we said about cocoa from Ghana is just as true for rice from India, tea from Ceylon, cotton from Chad, and peanuts from Senegal. So it's a catch-22 situation. Exactly. Listening. Community policies. The host of the chat show now turns to Ms. Murray to find out about the position of the EEC. Listen carefully to the pattern of the stresses here. Ms. Murray, a lot of attention has been focused on the position of Europe recently, at least as far as the Third World is concerned. Can you tell us how your group sees the position of the European community? Yes. Well, the European community is actually in a very strange position. You see, even though the EEC supports this conference and says it will do its best to help the Third World find a solution to its problems, it also supports some trading policies which are clearly harmful to Third World countries. And is European unification going to have any effect on those policies? As far as we can see, no, it isn't. The policies are still there, and as far as I can see, they're going to stay there. There has always been a lot of argument about the problem of our agricultural policy, for example. But we've never, ever solved it, and I don't think we ever will. What about the positions of the EC member countries regarding the Third World? We need to work them out. There is no single approach to the problem at all. One of the delegates at the recent meeting of the African Congress of States mentioned that it was impossible to see where Europe stands as a whole, and the situation hasn't really changed since then. Each member seems to go its own way as far as the Third World is concerned. But during the terrifying famine in the East, in East Africa, I mean, didn't the EC send aid to the peoples of Ethiopia, Somalia and so on? Yes, but it was mainly sponsored by private organizations, not by the EEC as a whole. You seem to have a rather pessimistic attitude to the problem. Yes, I'm afraid I have. Especially as the man in the chair at this conference is a European. Do you agree with Ms. Murray, Dr. Russell? Well, not entirely. It's true that there are some anomalies in the position of the EC on third world aid, but some moves are being made to find some kind of common policy. And even if the chairman of this conference, Dr. Michael Harmon, is a European, he has a very good record in this area. Conversation. The last word to the third world. Have you seen the agenda? Yes.
Yes, I'm rather upset about the fact that hardly any mention is made of the problems of overpopulation. You're right. We must ask the chairman to have the agenda revised. It's absurd. No, I'm not sure I agree with you. Don't you remember what happened at the last conference? There we spoke about overpopulation and it turned into a religious debate. But it's impossible. You can't talk about feeding a population when you don't know how big your population is going to be in five years' time. In any case, as far as I'm concerned, the trade issue is much more important, and that isn't mentioned at all. Are you surprised? The UN is run by the Americans and their European allies. We all know that, and they are perfectly happy with the way trade is arranged at the moment. No, we must make some changes. I've already talked to the delegates from most of the African states, the Angolans, the Zimbabweans, the Zairans, and so on, and they all agree. We must change the pattern of trade if we want our countries to develop. Most of the Asian countries feel the same, except for the Chinese, and they do not think of themselves as part of the third world in any case. Why don't we open the conference by asking for a change in the agenda? But the chairman will never allow it. Why not? We are here to discuss the problems of the third world, aren't we? Why shouldn't we discuss the problems which we feel are the most important? Because they are not the problems which the US and Europe feel are most important. Our old colonial masters, you mean? I have an idea. If we are certain that we have the majority on this point, we can perhaps persuade Dr. Harmon to change the agenda. I will have a word with him before the conference begins. He is an old friend. We were at Oxford together, you see. Well, if you think that will help, who is the first speaker? After Dr. Harman opens the conference, the Bangladesh delegate will present a report on the situation in Asia. Good. Why don't we ask him to propose an immediate vote to change the agenda? A good idea. I shall go and talk to him straight away. Changing places. Now then, Mr. Wall, you're due to speak after the Moroccan delegate. He should finish at about 4.30. And Lietzian, you're speaking tomorrow morning at 10 after the Laotian delegate. Is that okay? Yes, that's fine, thank you. Excuse me, where is my delegation supposed to be sitting, please? Didn't you receive your card? No. I'm sorry. You are? Elizabeth Mabanga. And you are from? Malawi. Oh, yes, of course. Now, the Malawian delegation is sitting in the fifth row, next to the Japanese delegation. Thank you. Phew, this is hard work. You're right. Did you get the seating order changed for the French? Yes, I did. God knows why they wanted to sit at the end. Anyway, we've now got the Swedes next to the French. Then come the Icelanders, then the Luxembourgeois, and finally the Dutch. Okay. And who's in the row in front? Well, in front of the French are the British, then the Italians, then the Germans, and finally the Belgians. Good. Let's hope that's settled then. When is Dr. Harmon arriving? In half an hour. He just called me from his hotel. Well, let's hope we don't have any surprises like we did last time. When the Indians started talking about overpopulation and religion, I just knew something bad was going to happen. Don't worry. I've just had a word with the Indian delegate. 
She said she's not going to mention religion this time. Dictation. He had the strength and beauty that sometimes come to flower in Indians of low birth. When that strange race nears the dust and is condemned as untouchable, then nature remembers the physical perfection that she accomplished elsewhere and throws out a god. Not many, but one here and there to prove to society how little its categories impress her. <laughs> 